it's going to look cool as hell. It's going to be like neon green. And it's going to be a hype machine. Every time you take a poop, it's going to get so excited for you. Wow, fantastic. Bro. Every time you flush, it tells you the price of TRX. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. This is Friday flagship number 32. The date is August the... What is the date? August 9th, 2018. It's actually August 10th because this is being released tomorrow. That was the part that threw me off. Ah. And... <laughs> Sorry, I wrote, I wrote August 9th on the, on the outline, so I take blame for that little hiccup. My bad. That's all right. I'm going to be here joined today with my two co-hosts, Brent Philbin... What's up? And Kareem Baruke. Hello. For those of you who are unfamiliar, our Friday flagship is our weekly discussion on all the news, topics, and debates in the cryptocurrency space. So let's get started with some announcements. Is there anything we wanted to cover today, guys? We just uh, just kind of cruising along right now? Uh, yep. Team Kareem still crushing it. Crypto Basics still doing great. Let's get into the news. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> Team Kareem crushing it with... Uh only a negative 700 or something like that. Ah, uh, man, the markets are even like worse than. Let's just, are they really? Like, if we had all. I, oh, it tanked like 20% yesterday. Oh, I didn't know that. I. Like that, the, that is some buying opportunity right there. Yep. Let me check out the portfolio competition stats. How bad can it really be? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we, we picked a pretty bad time to start a portfolio competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and anyways, let's get let's kick off the news with a topic I found a little interesting. And Kareem, why don't you get us started on this? The New York Stock Exchange owners said that Bitcoin could be the first worldwide currency. Your thoughts? Yeah. So this isn't just a matter of opinion. This is actually a strategy on their part, which I think this is really big. I think this is really big news for the space overall. So here's basically what happens. Um, the New York Stock Exchange is owned by a company called the International, uh, I'm sorry, Intercontinental Exchange, ICE. Um, and they are forming a new company called Bakht, like B-A-K-K-T, Bakht. And the whole point of the company is to try to be a bridge between or, or they say a bridge between Wall Street, Main Street, and Bitcoin. So back in December, when they had asked this company, uh, the Intercontinental Exchange, if they were interested in cryptocurrency, they downplayed it. They're like, no, we're not trying to jump into anything or whatever. But the whole time, really, behind the scenes, they're working on this super ambitious project that's trying to capitalize on making Bitcoin global and solidifying themselves in the center of that global um unit you know so basically here's uh where the story came from the ceo his name is uh jeffrey sprecher i don't know you guys are white how do you pronounce that <laughs> brent you're up uh maybe maybe sprecher oh sprecher makes sense maybe sprecher maybe sprecher so anyway this guy's the founder the chairman the ceo of the company that owns the new york stock exchange so obviously this guy has some influence and he said that Using the infrastructure that they're going to create in Bakht, he thinks that Bitcoin could become a currency for global payments. And his quote was, Bitcoin would greatly simplify the movement of global money, and it has the potential to become the first worldwide currency. And as part of this launch, 
They're partnering up with other companies. Some of them you may have heard of. For example, Microsoft, they do technology. And Starbucks is also signed up and is a partner in this project. In order, And they're going to be one of the people that are going to be... Basically, they're engaging in payment processing, so you could use Bitcoin or Ethereum at Starbucks. And obviously, there's other companies trying to do that, but I think it's different when you're talking about something as with as much influence and power as like the New York Stock Exchange. So anyway, I have one more quote that I want to discuss, but any thoughts before I do that, guys? Uh, well, the important part for me is coming, but the it is really funny that now we mentioned them kind of getting a little bit more warm towards crypto a few weeks ago. But it is funny that if you go back a few months, it's like, no, with that, no, it's bad. It's dumb. Meanwhile, all right, boys, let's get ready to go. Yeah, let's get ready to corner this market. Nobody say anything good about crypto until we're ready to to put this out. We've joked for a long time that, you know, they've been using this opportunity to buy dips and manipulate the markets. And, And this doesn't particularly come as surprising news to me at all. In a way, I'd like to, you know, piggyback what Kareem was saying. This is going to be fantastic if, you know, they put this in the right order, if if the people have the right intentions. Obviously, this could be really, really big. Yeah, but here's my, here's my question, guys. I feel like it's almost like it's not that big of a story, but at the same time, I feel like it should be because we've gotten so used to saying like, oh, this company's doing this and these companies trying to do that. And basically, the goal here is something that a lot of cryptocurrency projects are already trying to implement. Like, oh, I want you to be able to, spend Bitcoin anywhere. But like, I don't know, I think if we go back a few years or even six months or whatever, and we start thinking about what mass adoption looks like, I mean, we're talking about a partnership between Microsoft, the New York Stock Exchange, Starbucks. These are big names. Like like when we're talking about getting to mass adoption, can we really ask for bigger names than this to say, yeah, we're basically all in. Let's make Bitcoin the global currency. That's pretty insane. When we talk about adoption, Starbucks accepting something is adoption. Like, I, I feel like there's a few, like, really big things that could trigger a adoption event, kind of. Square accepting them and implementing that into all the, like, different things where you see that white kiosk. Any massive retailer like Amazon, Walmart, Starbucks, these, they have such a massive amount of the retail number of transactions that that is that's when you made it you know how like you you made it in the crypto space when people start making bots about your account like that's when crypto is going to make it i don't know like as soon as that happens it's going to be a really interesting turning point i don't know what it's going to do to the price but it will be very good for the ideology behind it yeah Brent, it's like those people that go on shark tank because they have a retail idea and then you find out that they got accepted into like i don't know sam's club or walgreens or walmart and you're just like oh you made it like that's that's what retail is trying to get to once you cross that threshold um but listen i do have a quote that kind of pissed me off a little bit in this article that i want to rant about so i'm moving oh, yeah. I'm, I'm moving i'm moving my rant to the beginning of the article so i find i found this quote hilarious and i find this sentiment in so many industries and it really makes me roll my eyes so this is one of the things that the guy said quote millennials don't trust traditional financial institutions to gain their trust banks brokerages and asset managers can use a currency that millennials believe in like bitcoin using digital currencies Brings a lot of sizzle. All right. So here's here's a spoiler alert. You ready for this? 
maybe millennials don't trust financial institutions because they've been systematically fucking everybody over for the last 40 years, not because you don't have shiny stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on now. Like, it's so ridiculous how little credit an entire generation of people get. Like, oh, if you have cool millennial stuff, like, just say you have Bitcoin, and then they'll come over and ask you to manage their portfolios. No, what has happened is we grew up in an environment where we knew that financial advisors are taking advantage of their clients. We found out that the major investment banks were paying their stockbrokers and their financial advisors money to give their clients bad advice. We know that you guys said buy these subprime mortgages and then you went behind our back and bet against them. So millennials don't trust banks because you guys are scummy as hell, not because you don't have Bitcoin. Oh, that was to all the banks that are listening to our podcast. That's I right. I know you're listening <laughs> yeah. to the to this Jamie Diamond, CEO of JP Morgan. He listens to this podcast every week. You piece There's of no D on the end you. of that name. No? No hard D there. He's a diamond. He didn't I'm get all pretty the sure he didn't he's, get the D. I'm sure he's can afford a D at the end of that name <laughs> to make it a diamond. <laughs> yeah, I, I still can't even believe this quote that somebody really like their view of the world is so warped that they're just like, oh, we can continue to make even more money if we just add this other asset that like these young people seem to trust. It's it's just completely against the point of the entire movement, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. That was pretty ridiculous. You know what that reminds me of? You know this the the Reddit posts that are like fellow kids. Oh yeah, where they that. like where where they like show an advertisement where somebody put like lit on there and it just makes no sense or something like that. Yeah, or like Wendy's <laughs> is trying to like. use some random meme to relate, and it's like. No, yeah, that's not where yeah, it goes. You really, you really want to be woke? Have a double cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Kylie Something Jenner like sharing, a, sharing a Pepsi in a protest. <laughs> God. Oh, it's, God. It's cool to protest, guys. Have a Pepsi and everything will be okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's keep it going here. Brent, we're time to get you involved with one of your favorite topics. Uh, it's not going to be EOS. That's one of the other favorites. But this one today, we have some IOTA drama. What is going on here? Quick interruption, Mike. It's two of Brent's favorite topics. It's IOTA and drama. Brent loves drama. Yeah, but I don't really like IOTA that much. So, but I love the, I, I love like the, the, the drama behind IOTA and we have often talked about, about how like, you know, David doesn't carry himself particularly well. Dom is also pretty uh, confrontational on, on Twitter, that kind of thing. But we found out that this does not only happen on Twitter. Apparently they do it to themselves also. So there was a chat log leaked. Uh, a chat between the five founders of IOTA. So I'm going to sum up the the gist of what's going on. We can discuss that, and then I'll talk about a particularly scary quote in it. So here's what happens. Basically, the three board members of the IOTA Foundation are David Sonstabo, Dom Shiner, and Ralph Rotman. Uh, and I didn't really know who Ralph was, so that means he must be a reasonable person. And based on these chat logs, he seems to be one. Um, but we, we knew who the other two were. And there were five creators of the coin. There was a guy named Sergei Ivancello and a guy named Sergei Popov, neither of whom were on the board uh, of the IOTA Foundation for some reason. Now, I don't know why they're not on yet, but the purpose of this chat is they wanted to be on the board. 
And they had apparently been promised to be on the board for a while. But Dom Shiner is kind of blocking this because he sees them coming on the board as proxy votes for David. And apparently he doesn't like David. And Dom has a little bit more power than the others in the, in the power struggle. So he's kind of making it take longer, apparently, according to the, the chats and what's going back and forth. So these guys just freak out. They're like, all right, I'm sick of this shit. We're not waiting anymore. Like, you need to have us on the board. And he's like, well, you know, we've got these different laws that we have to worry about. So finally, uh, this guy, Sergey, just like hits the nuclear button and, uh, he goes by CFB in the chat and he says, all right, if you, don't make me on the board in an hour. I'm going to release all these chat logs and tell the world and then they're going to hate you. And and then Dom is like, what the hell? Like I said, we could get on a call tomorrow and figure this out. Like what is going on? You're just going to like threaten me. Then David starts popping in and he's like, yeah, he'll do it. He'll do it. Yeah. He, <laughs> I wouldn't mess with him. He'll do it. So like, so even though David wasn't the one who like said, "Oh, I'm gonna release the chat logs," he cle- he was like literally, he's like, "Oh, you better, you better get, it, better do it next hour. He's gonna do it." So obviously they did not figure this out in one hour, and he did that. So CFB did that thing in game theory where he made that public announcement that would be too much of a of a detriment to his own personal credibility if he didn't stick by what he said. So he released all the chat logs and put them out there. So since the chat logs were released, uh, the IOTA Foundation has put out an update. This Throughout all of this, by the way, the Ralph guy uh, seems very reasonable and trying to be like, guys, what's the difference between 24 minutes and 24 hours? Like, we're, we're just trying to get on a call tomorrow. This has all been, this has all been done. Uh, IOTA Foundation says they're going to have a memo on... Uh, The day that you're listening to this, there should be a memo coming out saying that they all agree to add these people to the board, that they're just waiting on finishing the legal parts. So uh, before we go into the piece that I really was worried about, I will say that, like, I'm not sure how common behind the scenes fights are in uh, in like tech. It's probably fairly common. So this kind of thing probably happens all the time. But what doesn't happen all the time is somebody being like, "All right, I'm just gonna tell, I'm just gonna release all this." So what, what you gonna do about that? <laughs> yeah, and I think that look, it's tough to tell. Obviously, we don't know how many projects are dealing with what kinds of fights or whatever. But one of the things that we talk about on the show are incentive structures. That's one of the things that makes crypto so special is that we're not just relying on people to be good or selfless or moral, what you do is you just create a system that incentivizes good behavior, right? And this is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of treasuries over foundations, even though foundations may have their place. But look at the dynamics that come into place. Now, when when this guy says that there's a lot of complicated laws, I do believe him because I know that the IOTA Foundation was started in Germany, in part because Germany has very specific and clear laws about what a, like, a foundation is supposed to be as opposed to a for-profit company. But the dynamic is basically this. You're creating a new cryptocurrency project. Then you create an entity, the foundation, and you give it 
very literally tens of millions of dollars. You just take a massive chunk of the total available money, you give it to them, you put a couple of people in charge, and their job is to be the stewards of this massive pile of money that ultimately decides the direction of the project, right? Compare that with, for example, a situation like Dash or Cardano or Zencash, which is creating a decentralized treasury with voting mechanisms that are going to make sure that there isn't a central entity that can do these kinds of, that can create these kinds of power struggles or that at least are going to be solved in a more democratic and transparent way. So this is not the first foundation that we've seen struggle. I know the Trezos Foundation had uh, massive problems because of somebody that was in charge. And look, it's not my place because I don't know all the behind the scene details. But all I'm saying is that it doesn't shock me when you create an entity and you give it tens of millions of dollars and you give it basically all the power of our stewardship. And then the there's just a small group of people that get to decide the future of that foundation and what it does. Well, there's going to be power struggles like this. Yeah. And then the number of times that they said the word trust in this back and forth is like, Really high. They're, they're, oh, you don't trust me? Oh, you don't trust me? If you don't put me on the board right now, you don't trust me. And I, I was like, I was thinking like, damn, man, we're talking about a cryptocurrency and all they're talking about is trust. Wasn't that the point? Yeah. Are we trying to eliminate that? Yeah. So it's important to remember all this when you're thinking about what projects you're going to invest in, like IOTA. They still haven't released the coordinator so or taken the coordinator off. So they still, we are reliant on them as far as investing in IOTA to make smart decisions and w- they are not making smart decisions if if you have a fight behind the scenes we've had fights behind the scenes we haven't released the fucking chat logs <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh yeah oh yeah kareem you want to fucking you want to talk about starbucks on the on the show well let's see what the discord has to say about that yeah uh all right so anyway the real crazy part for me is this there's this quote from ralph the guy that i said was pretty reasonable I'll read the whole thing and then I'll focus on the tough part. For me, it is and has always been about a decision we made on the board that you were a part of. We, David, Dom, and Ralph, failed to keep CFB and Popov closely updated. We, David, Dom, and Ralph, underestimated how long the statute changes will take. All of this is fixable. I made a very reasonable suggestion that would resolve it within the next 24 hours. If you're willing to risk the entire project over 24 hours versus 24 minutes and a reputation of keeping your ultimatums, Well, then this is how it has to be. The public will ultimately judge on their own. Just thinking about all the other stuff that will come to light makes me extremely worried. Not for myself, but we're all grownups. So what else is going to come to light now that somebody's starting to release chat logs? Right. Let's play devil's advocate for a second. What what could come up? Like, there's nothing really that came to my mind originally that said, I mean... What? Infinity stuff, dude. Well, like, like what? Security. There could be a lot of stuff. What? The most worrisome thing would be if they talk about not planning to take the coordinator away. Uh, uh, what if the, they can't find a way to take it? they can't. Right. They can't. Yeah. What if they can't? What if they've hit a wall? What if the project's going to take way longer? What if, uh, you know, like, I mean, this is <laughs> like all kinds of stuff could come out, of course. But again, this is the problem that we've seen with IOTA. There's been so much... Uh, it's like the opposite of transparency, honestly, with IOTA. Like, IOTA's position, and you couldn't even defend this position. I'm not necessarily attacking them. But I saw interviews with David when they had problems with 
their own crypto that they rolled out, which you're definitely not supposed to do with Curl P. As you guys remember, they had to take that down and substitute it by something that was standardized. When the MIT team said that they found a security flaw, they freaked out. They basically said that there was an assassination piece that they were trying to smear IOTA. But they had to take the Curl P out. And this is the way they've handled all the criticism. They always get mad and they say that they don't... Remember, they also put... They claimed that they put the bug into the curl P on purpose in case somebody tried to copy IOTA. So it's all about secrecy and it's all about like, they have a genius product, they don't want anybody to copy. Okay, fine. But this is the price we pay. We have no clue what's going on behind the scenes. One of the most frustrating parts with crypto sometimes is that we've run into a bunch of mega maniacs, uh, narcissists, people that are running companies and controlling a lot of the decisions that are going on behind the scenes. We've talked about this several times with IOTA specifically, but these guys are not the kind of people you want to have you know, a business with. They're not the kind of people you want to invest your crypto in. It may succeed. They may be brilliant enough to pull this off, but I think they're going to do it with a lot of, you know, chopping off corners, taking shortcuts, having selfish intentions. I just really think that, you know, if you are invested in IOTA, you need to take a long, hard look at what you're investing in. Yeah, they also very clearly were calling this blowing up the project. They were like, if you release this, it's blowing up the project. So it was like... There's obviously, too, an underlying schism, guys, right? Because let's be real. Why has there been so much resistance? So listen, I don't know IOTA super, super well. But from what I remember, Evangelo and the other guy that you mentioned here, uh, Popov, they were part of the, I believe, the white paper and the actually, like, the development team. So it seems like what's happening here is a schism between the development team, which is led by people like Sustinbo and who's obviously trying to gate Evangela involved and the people who are leading the foundation. Why is there such a resistance to get the development team on the board? Well, and why are they so worried that they would just be votes for David? Well, obviously, the people on the board are worried that David wants to do some things that they're not okay with and that having these guys on is going to just add those votes. So there's already some kind of underlying schism, which I'm sure that there's differences of opinion in many projects of which way to go. But look at the way that it's going about. Like you said, they're willing to blow up the project and expose themselves like this in a way that doesn't help anybody just because like they're fighting so hard. What I find super interesting about going from three to five is that it's like three of five is quite literally like a 51% attack on a foundation. So even if David created this originally with himself and two others, even if those people disagreed with him on many topics, if he had a plan from the start to go from three to five, as long as he was able to control those other two votes, no matter what, he was, he would be able to pass anything that they were voting on. So that's a very interesting number to me because he might just have had this all along in his back pocket to say, okay, well, if these guys decide that they're going to not follow along with the plan that I have, well, then I'm going to have a way to implement my plan down the line. Yeah. And look, at at the end of the day, I think it comes down to maybe IOTA has, like you said, good technology and everything, but it's going to be tough for IOTA to compete when so much energy has to go into this kind of stuff. When you have projects like Vitalik has a group of geniuses under him trying to make Ethereum better. IOHK is developing Cardano at a rapid pace. You have, you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's a lot of good projects out there that seem to be a little bit more focused. And, you know, that's going to be tough competition for IOTA if they're if the main developers and the foundation people are spending their day fighting via email and trying to do damage control. Just a thought for you guys. 
Do you find it interesting that the two biggest projects that were trying to do a very different blockchain system in Nano and or uh, Nano and in IOTA? I guess what we're realizing is that we're still so early in crypto that even the the brilliant projects are hitting dead ends and they're hitting parts that I don't know that they're going to be able to fix. Any thoughts on that? I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um characterization like yes iota was the first one to implement the tangle but there are other projects trying to implement the tangle and they're going about it in a more slow methodical how way, many right? how many like, tangle type uh chains do we have well uh, like for example Z- well zencash is working on implementing a block drag stack structure uh and also ethereum was a new form don't forget like yeah okay iota is different and it came afterwards but ethereum was a different style platform also uh neo's delegated byzantine style whatever there's like i would say that there's a couple of projects that are doing their own thing but there's a difference between a united and professional development team and a not united and professional development team. I don't think that IOTA is just hitting a wall because the technology is too difficult. I think that IOTA, IOTA has taken a high variance approach. Uh, they handle criticism in a particular way. They blow up their project in a particular way that helped them get into the top 20 market cap or whatever. But also they have these high variance situations. I don't think that it's just a product of them trying something new. Uh, props to their subreddit, at least, for being reasonable about this. The uh, In the past, they've all kind of, like, defended David for no reason. Like, they, it, 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 almost like a Trump supporter situation where it's like, ah, he's not really being an asshole on Twitter. He, he's just, you know, he's just saying things and they're coming out wrong. And, speaks his mind. Or, or, he speaks yeah, his mind. Whatever. But, in the, like, so they would say things like, oh, it doesn't matter that he's doing that and stuff. But it kind of does when you get down to, like, stuff like this. So, but in there, the, the the IOTA subreddit was really, like, not happy about this. They were all like, we need answers. There was a whole thread about this particular phrase. The just thinking about all the other stuff that will come to light makes me extremely worried. Everybody's speculating on that. They're like, we need to know what he's talking about. Yeah, speculation is worth probably worse than truth at this point. They need to Yeah, because it could be anything. Yeah. It could even be a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a good way to end Yeah. It, I think. So if you happen to own any Apple stock, it's possible you might be able to buy a boat now. It has recently reached one trillion dollars. Kareem, you have an interesting smile on your face. Let's hear what your thoughts are. Well, my my interesting smile on my face just comes from the fact that I'm I want to give a shout out to my awesome beautiful sister who just recently started listening to the show and it was kind of cool cuz she called me and she's like, "Yo, your show's actually kind of good." <laughs> and she's like and she's like uh listening to the flagships and stuff. So she calls me, she sends me a text message the other day. I didn't know that Apple had hit 1 trillion and then I just wake up and I see a text message from her and she's like, "Apple hits 1 trillion." flagship material question mark <laughs> and, and when i told her it was she was just like hey i contributed i'm part of the podcast so i'm like all right sweet so emily thank you so much you're amazing for pointing this story out and i'm gonna have some fun with it real, real quick so before, much, you, before you go on what you described with your sister about her reaction has been super common for me as well people will be like They'll just hit me up out of the boot and they're like, so 
that podcast actually pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been telling you that for a little while. They're like, yeah, but like I listened to it. It's actually good. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I, ne- I never asked her to listen because whatever, they're not into crypto. Right. It's not like I go to all my friends who aren't into crypto and I'm like, hey, go listen to right. me. Go listen to me talk about crypto because you're my friend. <laughs> but uh, anyway. You don't have to listen, so- but you should subscribe. <laughs> yeah, um, that's yeah. true. Uh, hello again. I just wanted to say hello again to Kareem's sister. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Brent always thought my sister was pretty. All right. Anyway, so Apple. Not as pretty as you. Thank you. Hits one trillion market cap, guys. It is the first company in history for the United States listed in as a U.S. company that hits a one trillion market cap. So this happened after, number one, they released that their returns uh, for this quarter were higher than was expected. And also, they used some of the tax break money. Well, I don't want to say... I mean, they probably did use some of the tax break money, but Apple usually does stock buybacks. And this quarter, they bought $20 billion worth of stock back. So that obviously also helps increase the price. So, you know, whatever. Everybody knows Apple. So I want to... For this story, I just want to do some fun statistics and some fun context and stuff like that. Before before you go on, actually, I want I want to stop you just for a brief second. Um, I, I vaguely understand the concept of a stock buyback and I understand the purpose, but are they allowed to structure it in a way that, that they can kind of do it how they wish? Because... It, I, I know that the the stock market is very heavily regulated for good reason. Is this something they can just announce like, yeah, we're just going to buy this much this week or like, or are there regulations on, you know, how they, they announce these kind of things? Because this is a big deal to a lot of people's money. I'm sure that there is some kind of regulation um, as to... There's probably more regulations involved with like what board members or executives can and can't do with their stock before the news goes public. Like if you know that you're about to announce you're going to buy $20 billion worth of stock um, tomorrow, you know, maybe you can't act on that information until it goes public. I'm sure. But in general, yes, companies can buy their own stock back at any time. They're, they're a free agent in the market that can use their funds to buy the, back their own stock. All right, interesting comparisons. Number one, Apple's stock market capitalization right now is greater than ExxonMobil, Procter and Gamble, and AT and T combined. It makes up four percent of the total market capitalization for the S and P five hundred. And since its initial public offering in nineteen eighty, Apple has grown fifty thousand percent. In that same time period, the S and P grew. 2000%. So Apple has obviously outgrown the S&P 500 significantly. Um, moonshot. Moonshot. I know everybody's wondering this question, so I'll, I'll have this statistic. If you invested $990 in Apple when it launched, today that would be worth about half a million dollars. If you invested $990 in 1980, if you invested $1,000 in Apple just 10 years ago after the uh, after the recession, it would be worth 10000 today. So it's gone up tenfold in the last 10 years. Um, all right. But now I want to have some fun with some random statistics and facts and context. Uh, number one, I'm going to complain. I think Apple gets a little bit too much credit or not enough hate for how much tax evasion they do. And they have mastered this to a level that is like uncomparable. They set up multiple corporations, for example, in Ireland, where they basically just like 
have that company buy the iPhones really cheap and sell them really expensive. So all the profit comes out in Ireland, even though it's being manufactured in China and the technology is being developed in the United States. So the main reason why I'm against how much tax evasion Apple does, because a lot of us might be like, well, look, at the end of the day, it's money that the company has made. But I think that most people don't realize how much of Apple's profit is a result of the very society and that those taxpayers that funded the research that made the technology possible. So all of these things that I'm about to mention are incorporated, are part of the smartphone, part of Apple's business model, and were ultimately funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars, okay? So number one, touchscreens. The touchscreen was developed by two University of Delaware researchers with funding from the National Science Foundation, and they eventually founded a company called Fingerworks, which was acquired by Apple. The multi-core processor was developed by Stanford University in 1995 using funding from the Department of Defense. The microprocessor funding from DARPA. The cellular cellular technology in general was funded by the U.S. military. The internet was funded by DARPA. GPS was funded by the Department of Defense, the Navy, and NASA. Siri, actually Siri, was also created through funding by DARPA and later acquired by Apple. And the same thing goes even for something like lithium-ion batteries from the Department of Energy and the National Science Fund. So the argument that I want to make here is, All of the technological components that make the iPhone possible are a result of U.S. taxpayers. So to cheat U.S. taxpayers, in my opinion, is more egregious than most people realize. All right. Okay, Mike, you're making faces. Let's go. Let's do it. I don't don't necessarily like picking disagreements with you, but I'm just going to put out a couple points and I'll I'll let you shred them apart. So (laughs) (laughs) my thoughts are... Challenge accepted. Yeah, to me... All right, so... When the research gets funded by a government organization, to me, the government's doing that for their own benefit in whatever that means. They took this technology. They did whatever they chose to do with this research. And whatever the open market chooses to do with the technological advances, I don't believe – I don't believe Apple – based on this description, I don't believe Apple – it should be exceptionally crucified for this. And I think the only reason that this is a story right now is because of how much money they're actually making. So these little tiny pieces that they're shaving off wherever they can, which most people do, I just don't, I just think it's magnified because of how much larger the company is. Okay. So multiple points that you're making, and I think some of them are valid and I think some of them need extra context. Number one, Apple is considered to be one of the companies that led the way in this form of tax evasion that sets up multiple places in multiple countries in order to just create like a circle of fake accounting that whose only purpose is to cheat U.S. taxpayers. Number two, I want to make something very clear. I am not against the fact that the private research, I mean, that the public funding that created these technologies was used by a company like Apple to make money. What I am against is that then those companies use all of their newfound wealth and research specifically to cheat the very taxpayers that funded their research. Apple can make $100 billion, and the founder of Apple can be the second or third or fifth richest man in the world. I I don't fault him for that. Here's the problem, though. Once they start systematically cheating the tax system, they're cutting off the future because the reason Apple exists is because the companies in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, they were paying their revenue and that tax money was creating future benefit for our society. Imagine if all of that tax revenue instead 
would have been created at the Cayman Islands. So ExxonMobil and Microsoft were paying all of their tax revenue to some little country somewhere, and we don't have that revenue. So we don't fund this research. So we don't get that company. My main argument is I'm not trying to cap prosperity. You could take any public technology and go to the moon with it. But I am against systematic tax evasion that ultimately screws the very population that that made it possible. And by the way, why is Apple a trillion dollars market cap? Is it because of Zimbabwe? Is it because of India? No, it's because, let's be real, like their core business is here in America. Like this, this society created Apple. And I do feel like it should be able to benefit from Apple's success. I agree. And I think that's a very utopian, like idealistic view. <laughs> what, I, what I don't see is how you expect major businesses to not play by the rules of the game. Like, unfortunately, the system is so broken that they kind of don't have a choice. But just if they have options to save money, they're probably going to do it just like any other business is going to do. Yes. And then the extra layer of context that I would add is that those businesses bribed politicians to change the rules. I agree. So it's... Well, okay, but just because there was corruption that allowed shitty rules to come into place doesn't mean that we should just live with those rules and not criticize them. So for what is it what is the solution? Look, fine. When I look at a company like Apple, a very simple solution for me is you get taxed based on consumption in the US. If 60% of your profits come from the US, guess what? You have to pay as if 60% of your profits are in the US. I don't care if you did an accounting trick that says that actually your business is based in the in the Cayman Islands. That nobody wins. Everybody gets screwed. So just because they were able to, and not just Apple, absolutely, this is the entire business community over the last 60 years in the United States and everything. But just because they bribed politicians into create a corrupt system that screws us as as taxpayers doesn't mean that we shouldn't criticize it and that we shouldn't push our government to fix it and just say to Apple, no, you can't do that. You can't just have one office in Ireland and then stop paying taxes. That Why would that be logical? I completely agree with you that it's not logical. I, I do not support this. I do not like this. I don't think this is good for the world. I don't think this is good for the people. I think this is selfish. I think this is unfortunate for the countries that are being you know shorted. However, I personally don't know how much Apple influenced these laws that were made in the first place. I don't know if they were stuffing people's pockets. I don't know who was. Certainly people are, currently are, have been, et cetera. These things are unfortunately just what we have to look in on. I agree with you that, yes, I would love for this to change. I just don't see how that's practical. Right. Okay. So, and just last thing is, I'm not solely blaming Apple. I'm just adding this as a caveat for people to have, number one, some context, And number two, I don't think it's that utopian. Just getting taxed based on the revenue, that's that's one of the least utopian things I've ever said. I can get utopian. That is not utopian. You make money, you you pay your taxes. But I do have one other interesting fact. Number one, Apple's not the first trillion dollar company ever. The first trillion dollar company was actually PetroChina, which is the Chinese-owned oil company. In 2007, after they went public, they hit $1.1 trillion very briefly. So interesting little fact. And then this one was actually really surprising to me. Apple is still not the most valuable company in the world even today because most business analysts, like when you're selling a business or that kind of stuff, they don't really look at market cap. They look at something called enterprise value, which takes into account uh, operating income, capital structure, and everything else. And by those standards, 
as of June, the most profitable, the most valuable company in the world is Amazon. Actually, $80 billion more valuable than Apple. Not surprising at all. I wonder what the enterprise value is for MoviePass because their market cap is less than the price of a two-bedroom, two-bathroom home in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! Their their market cap yesterday was a hundred and eighty thousand. Are you their serious? Yeah, I didn't even know they were was, a public it was company. Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, they. Yeah, they. They're public. Let, let, random little tan, side tangent on this MoviePass situation. They did a two hundred and fifty to one reverse split. Because their price was tanking so fast and they needed to be like at a certain threshold to like not get delisted from exchanges. And you couldn't even tell that they did the 250 to 1 reverse split because within two days the price was the same. So <laughs> so now they're list they're they're like seven cents a share. Their all-time high, like three months ago, is eight thousand five hundred a share. Wow. What a what a shit show of a company that is like whatever the opposite of Apple is doing. So a couple of random comments that I didn't get in there about Apple. One, I don't blame Apple for this. I don't know if they did any of the bribing, but they're taking advantage of the system that is in place and they're exploiting it. They should. That's their incentive. They should do exactly what they are given. They shouldn't have that option. But since they since they do, they don't need to pay taxes for fucking moral reasons. Like if they're allowed to get away from them, they should. And the other thing is, I don't understand how they're so profitable because I hate everything that they're doing. So, like, I, I was the biggest Apple fanboy on planet Earth. I had every iPhone, starting with I, the first one. I had every iteration. Like, I, I didn't miss any of them. I hit the S's, the not S's, the, the, the 3G's, the, I, up until the 6 plus. And then I finally switched to Android. I'm like, wow, this is so much better. What am I doing? And... But there was no bigger Apple fanboy than me. And, and anyway, so those are my two comments. Real, real on quick, Apple. Brent, uh, just just for anyone curious, uh, what is your favorite phone in the market right now? I'm thinking. I'm thinking about Ooh, going. To, uh, I'm thinking about going to Switch, and I might just go Android and just just take the plunge. Wait, wait like two weeks, and then the Note Nine will Note be Note Nine. Interesting. Yep. The, the, uh, it's going to be slightly better than the S Nine Plus, which is what I have right now. And there, and then of course, there's blockchain phones coming out, or whatever that means. But I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't. I don't know if I want my phone to like have to. Well, if it's got blockchain the block. in the name, then I would pay double, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. We're gonna talk about some great applications for blockchain technology in a little bit. Oh, really? <laughs> Alrighty. Next up, a very interesting clash of the titans. Apparently, Vitalik and Charles are going to have a debate. Brent, your thoughts. We mentioned a couple weeks ago on that first roundtable episode that Vitalik and Charles kind of went at it on Reddit a little bit. I think it was on that episode. It might have been a flagship, but whatever the case, we didn't understand what they were saying. Uh, during a, an update for Cardano, Charles said that Reddit is not the place to have a debate. And he and Vitalik have agreed to have the debate on a blog where they ask and answer each other's questions. So they're going to have like some sort of public debate disagreement uh again charles has said he and vitalik differ greatly on some of their opinions but he re still respects the hell out of the guy so compare that to uh david and whatever the fuck yeah i love this story for a variety of reasons one charles has gone out of his way to actually try to have productive debates and has made the decision you know at one point and eh, twitter's not really the place for me that's fine i'll just leave 
Uh, Reddit wasn't the place for this discussion. That's fine. We'll leave. Let's actually plan to do this academically in a, in a respectful manner because you're allowed to like each other and just disagree on things. That's totally reasonable. Yeah. And we just want to hear what they have to say to each other. Even when we went to that thread on Reddit last week, like you can't control what gets upvoted. So sometimes I would have to sift through like a bunch of random comments to get to Vitalik's response. This is super exciting is two of the people we admire most in the space having a substantive discussion about technology and direction. I think it's going to be an awesome read. I love them both and I'm pumped. If you guys want to come on and do a roundtable discussion with Crypto Basic Podcast, I I guess we would find time. Like I said before, let me check the schedule. <laughs> All right, Brent. So next up, we have a possible a possible combination of stories here with the roundtable that we've covered recently. What else is going on? No, with the with the roundtable that we're going to release on Monday. I, I don't understand any of these words. <laughs> what what is the story? <laughs> I, I promise, if you transition to me, I'll tell you. It's not that interesting. I don't even have a transition. Like what? Like All what right, are these words, Brent? Like I'm asking Brent, for help, guys. You I'm have sorry. something. Well, just say Brent's got something funny to say. Brent, you got something funny to add here? All right. So here's what's happening. We On Monday, we've got a roundtable where we are going to be talking with uh, Matthew. I'm going to mispronounce his name. I was going to ask him when he got on, but uh, we don't know it. Matthew Mezinkis? Mezinkis? Mez- oh, my God. M-E-Z with a little thing over it. I-N-S-K-I-S. I'm sorry, Matthew. Please don't kill me. Matthew, Brent has that. a hard time with any last name that's not Smith or Johnson. Just... FYI. So anyway, we're uh, right after we record this flagship, we're doing a roundtable style with him. He is very uh, Bitcoin oriented. Uh, Bitcoin maximalist is how he's described himself or been described. So that's how this is kind of a tie in because we're talking about Bitcoin Cash here. And the creator of Bitcoin Cash was banned from the Bitcoin Cash Slack channel because he disagreed with the position of the person who ran the Slack channel. His name is A. Mori. I don't actually know what this dude's name is. I didn't even look it up. But uh, something to do with like he thought pre-consensus was not good. And I don't even know what pre-consensus is. So I don't want to like get into that. This is just your friendly reminder of how toxic these communities with their like massive censorship are. Like the, the R Bitcoin community, the Bitcoin Cash, Slack. Like you disagree even for half a second. You're gone. Even if you, Flip. even if you created the project, even if you created the actual project, you better agree with everybody else right now, or else you're out. Yeah, this is like I, yeah, I'm so sick of these radical. two communities being ridiculous. It, that almost feels like a Family Guy style or like a Rick and Morty style setup, where this like community of angry people are so angry that they like. Uh, you know, they like kick out like the founder or something or I don't know, like there's there's sometimes jokes about fundamentalist Christians, how they would react if Jesus came back and he was like all like basically a Arab socialist and <laughs> how quickly you'd be kicked out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of Arab socialists, let's move on to crypto from around the world. Alrighty, guys. Crypto from around the world. In Berlin, there was a little bit of a hackathon. Brent, what's going on here? I, so it's coming up. It hasn't happened yet. But I was really interested in one of the announcements they made. And I feel like this is more important uh, than than it, than it we think. Because we, we talked about, what's that one big conference that everybody was kind of hating consensus. on? Consensus. Yeah. 
consensus. Yeah. So they wouldn't even take crypto for their tickets. Like they had no way to purchase tickets other than with fiat, which is ridiculous, right? The ETH Berlin hackathon has gone the other direction. They will not use anything that is not a dApp. So they've replaced their messaging with status. They've replaced, uh, they made their own token to tip the speakers at the conference. They've replaced their wallets with status. They're ticketing with a company called Block Party. Their video is going to be done on something called Live Peer. Their VR, they didn't say, but they said it was involving lands, which is one of the currencies on Decentraland. So I assume that that's what they're talking about. Their hotels were using a, a system called Winding Tree. Their judging and rewards are on the Genesis blockchain, uh, giving away bounties for anybody who registers their domain on the Ethereum name services platform. Uh, they're like giving you money to do that instead of making you pay. So a lot of really cool things. I don't awesome. know how to get invited to that. I would love to go to Berlin and start using all these technologies. So I know it's in September, but hey, if you're one of the organizers, you fly me out there. I'll like do a show. Not the best self. Ber- yeah. Berlin you, is great. You have a lot of really fun, entertaining qualities. Doing a if show you, would not you, be one of them. You fly, if you fly Brent out, he'll do a show. It might involve... Eating a donut, it might be telling jokes. If you fly me out, though, I'll do a bunch of interviews and, you know, there you go. So fly me out, not Brent. Brent, have you used any of these apps? No, I haven't used any of them. I don't know what the the user system is like. I actually clicked on each one of their websites. The one that looked the furthest along is Status. But, uh, I mean, I, I have Decentraland, the land, but I don't, uh, the rest of it I've never used. Quick side note, I even if a bunch of these things are clunky or starting out or whatever, I love this. I love that they're actually trying to focus on adoption and make it a part of the um, of the structure. And it's not just a money grab. Like it really is about showing what crypto can do through different angles. This is a really cool story. Yeah, and they're forcing it, but they're forcing it in a crypto conference. So like, you can't force it at like a Magic the Gathering tournament, but you can force it at a crypto conference. And then when enough people do it. They will like eventually work on this. Kareem is trolling me in our right now. He's he's typed as far as he was gonna type motherfucker, but he put mutt five ha fucker. Okay, and it's a really big letters, so I can't see anything. I else. just know that you put this story here, and I was just about to say what a cool story it was, and then I saw no link. Why are you making me go around chasing links later on, man? Put in the link. <laughs> I didn't think you would tell the audience. So a couple other things that we're going to be chasing here in a minute. China has slapped a 25% tariff on U.S. goods. Kareem. Ah, yeah. I've got 30 minutes to find that link now. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. This is not going to be as long. Um, It's the continuation of this tariff war that we've been talking about. So recently, the U.S. Trade Representative's office announced an extra list of $16 billion worth of Chinese goods that is going to be hit with a 25% tariff. So now China, that brings the total of Chinese goods to $50 billion. So now, okay, now Brent's trolling me back. Understood. Wait, I can't get to the story though. You believe it. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, so he, he hit to, uh, they're hitting us back with the same amount, 25% tariff on $16 billion worth of goods. The list of goods that are being hit include uh, passenger cars, bikes, fiber optic cables, coal, grease, Vaseline, asphalt, plastic products, and recyclables. 
And um, as an explanation, of course, this is my best Donald Trump impression. He tweeted this. China is targeting our farmers, who they know I love and respect, as a way of getting to me to continue allowing them to take advantage of the U.S. They are being vicious and what will be their failed attempt. We are being nice until now. China made $517 billion. Sad. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say sad. But anyway, so this is the logic. We're still going back and forth. This It's going to be hard to tell how much keeps going up and up. I'm sure that if the U.S. responds by adding more tariffs, China's going to do the same thing. But uh, the interesting thing here is to remember with these tariffs, everybody always thinks of them in the, t- in the terms of like China and the U.S., right? Like as if they are cohesive entities, but they're really not. It's like individual industries. This isn't pro-America or pro-China or anti-America. Like, look at these list of products. Well, if you make bikes or fiber optic cables or Vaseline or asphalt or plastic products, you're getting screwed because you're getting hit with tariffs. There's all kinds of U.S. businesses that are not being affected at all. And there's all kinds of U.S. businesses that are benefiting. So, for example, if you're making steel and the U.S. put steel tariffs on everybody's steel, then you're benefiting. So really, when we're listening to these stories about tariffs being slapped on, just because the government is making that decision, it's really not representative of the country. It's still individual industries benefiting, individual industries being harmed, individual special interests probably lobbying in both directions to avoid fallout. And anyway, we'll keep we'll keep following that story. And as you see, they're acting like in that in case in case trust game, they're acting as the one that does what the first person does. As long as they're as long as both people are cooperating, everything's fine. First time somebody <coughs> decides to cheat, they respond by cheating. And now guess what? It's going to make everything worse. Brent, uh, how much money would you donate to watch Donald Trump play that game on video, that game theory game that you linked a couple weeks ago? Oh, it, I mean, I already know the outcome. He would just get it wrong, and then he would say that the game is wrong. He'd be like, oh, no, this is, they don't understand business. This isn't how it works. I understand business. I'm the best business. I'm, I'm the best at this game. I'm going to make another one of these games. It's going to be way better, game, way better. Game theory is something that I know a lot about, and you know, and I know. Everyone knows. Everyone says I'm the best at game theory, and, uh, you know, I feel like John Nash is finally getting some credit, which is good. <laughs> Anywho, we're going to move on a little bit. Uh, Brent, your other buddy, Justin's son, has formed a strategic partnership. What's going on here? Uh, all right. So I want to give credit where it's due. Right before we, uh, we got on the air, I got to remember who sent this. Uh, Ishimoku-san in the, in the Discord threw this out. And he even gave the perfect tagline. He said, TRX is finally a shitcoin. And it now is official. Tron has formed a partnership with Mushroom, not Mushroom, Mosh, like Mosh Pit, Mushroom, a leading portable toilet, smart toilet supplier in China. The two partners will work on blockchain technologies, especially cross-border settlement with cryptocurrencies. Leading portable smart toilet in China. So now just think about this, your toilet with blockchain, shitcoin. Think about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I will say that I've used a Japanese toilet one time. This is a toilet supplier from China. I don't know how similar they are, but the Japanese toilet I used in uh, in this uh, it was called uh, uh, Tanaka of Tokyo. It was amazing. It like it has all these buttons <laughs> on the side, and like I went in just to, my brother oh, man, went in to use sweet. it, and he was like, he's like, you need to go in there and use that toilet because it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened. 
So you press the button, it gives you like a new little like layer of stuff to sit on. So you sit on that and you're fine. And then you do, you poop. And then when you're done pooping, you got a button that starts bidetting you and it's like, <laughs> sprays you, gets you all clean down there. Next button blow dries you. So, and it, it all happens with the push of a button on the side of the toilet. You feel so clean, so fresh. I'm on board with this. Smart toilets, let's make these global because we don't have them here and I want more. Yeah, I was going to say, Brent, this is like the exact thing that your life has been building up for. The moment where you found yeah. this toilet, how long is it going to be before you get one? I Listen, I already looked into how much they were as soon as I came home. If I had a home, it would have one of these toilets. They're like two grand. Like there's they're the size they're the price of like a great OLED curved TV. Which one would I rather have? This toilet <laughs> or or a toilet? I don't know about this one, but a smart toilet that does all those things. Not close. And there were buttons I didn't even try, and I don't know what they do. So, but they can't be bad. Brent, can we expect some TRX in your portfolio soon? Then, now that your interests are aligning, uh, you know what? I need to do a little bit of a re- a little bit of research on what Mushroom is and exactly like how smart their toilets are because I don't want to be like if they're like Justin Sun smart, then they're not going to have like the blow drying. They're not going to have like the you know the the uh, the bidet. Yeah, but they're going to like outsource that shit. <laughs> but it's going to be the best marketing of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's going to look cool as hell. It's going to be like neon green. And it's going to be a hype machine. Every time you take a poop, it's going to get so excited for you. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> Every time you flush, it tells you the price of TRX. <laughs> <laughs> you had some amazing diet today. Your fiber is through the roof. Well, you're not even going to believe tomorrow to- what your diet's going to look like once we analyze I've heard they're actually putting things in toilets or they're trying to do the research that can actually like scan your bowels and like like scan the pee for certain uh, for certain like you know things that you're not looking for that could lead to certain diseases or you know i forget the exact things in your body that would trigger certain notifications but that's gonna happen eventually right oh man i i feel like if i did if i did have a toilet like that and i dropped i pooped my phone would be like and, and it'd be like, how did this even get in here? Like, what is this? Is that a road code? It would be like, did you just eat a whole other bag of white chocolate covered pretzels again? Stop it. Well, it would have saved you a trip to WebMD for sure. And a lot of stress. That's, you know what? That's true. I would have felt way less stressed out about that if I had a smart toilet. All right. Any other rants we wanted to add that we didn't cover so far? Anything guys want? Oh, there's a picture. Oh, my God. That toilet looks amazing. Somebody yeah, I, the I stuck the picture in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that looks... It does uh-huh. look pretty cool. Can, you, can, can we right, make Tron, that as the, the picture for the week? Like the, uh, the yeah, flagship oh, picture? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the mailbag section. Yeah. Crit Basic. Flagship Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop. Where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop. Keep listening till you hit the spot. <laughs> All righty. Cash man. Asked us, after Apple hit $1 trillion, it made me think, what would it look like if a traditional f- company bought a crypto company? Not a specific ser- scenario, but, for example, if Apple bought Cardano, if Vivix bought Pisa, uh, I'm sorry, if Pivix, if Visa was <laughs> bought by Pivix. No, Visa way, buys Pivix. Yes, the large company that's successful buys Pivix. Okay. And the other options would be if crypto buys a traditional company that has stocks on NASDAQ, how would the stocks for Apple look like? 88 coins look like? Who would get what? I have no good answers here. Anybody want to start? It depends. It obviously completely depends, right? Like, for example, if Apple buys Ripple, 
a centralized entity, it's a totally different dynamic than if Visa buys Pivix, which is a decentralized network. As a matter of fact, there is no way which in which Visa could buy Pivix right. because there's nobody to give the money to. There's no uh, operation to give control over of. Uh, and I would even say the same thing with something like Cardano, right? Like Apple could buy IOHK, but the way that IOHK has structured the relationship with Cardano is that they have to bid again at the end of the contract and the decentralized voting treasury has to renew the development contract with IOHK. So the answer is it depends. We have some very centralized projects, which probably make the most sense. And we have some very decentralized projects, which is actually one of the beautiful things that somebody can't just come in, buy it and shut it down. Now, I'm not saying that Microsoft's intention was to shut it down. But for example, remember Microsoft buying GitHub, a lot of people were like, kind of worried about how that's going to turn out. Well, we don't have to worry about Microsoft buying Ethereum. We don't have to worry about anybody buying Bitcoin or Pivx or Cardano, because for the most part, they can't. Yeah, that there are only a few cryptos that people could buy. And I mean, you could buy a bunch of the crypto, like you could buy enough Pivx to have a controlling stake in their DAO, I guess. Like their their market cap is low enough. It would be really difficult to do that with uh with like Dash or something, but that I guess that could be like some sort of pseudo hostile takeover with those type of coins, but you can't buy Bitcoin. Like there's no company behind Bitcoin. So like any of the truly decentralized projects are not available to buy. So what would it look like? It wouldn't look that interesting. I think it would just look like a partnership more than an accusation. Ac- acquisition i just think that you know they would work together because it's gonna even a company as big as apple they could probably do a lot of really productive things in the crypto space but they just made you know however much billions of dollars last quarter they're not interested in that right now because it's going to it's going to take a lot of time to develop they're more likely in my opinion going to form partnerships put get themselves in the same room together work together and decide how to be mutually beneficial yeah, and again, you know, a lot of these cryptocurrencies, we have to think of them not just as entities, but as networks. They're creating value as a network and they're creating value as a platform. So let's say that Apple does want to get involved. Let's say that Apple starts seeing that the future is Ethereum. Well, again, there's no Ethereum to buy. They're not going to buy the Ethereum Foundation. But what Apple can do is put millions of dollars into developing a decentralized application that's going to be built on Ethereum or that interacts with applications that are built on Ethereum. Or Apple, like Amazon, for example, provides hosting services um, for many blockchains. So there are tons and tons and tons of ways that traditional companies can interact with blockchain networks, but the truly decentralized networks cannot be purchased or acquired. Anything else on this question, guys? Alrighty. Last question comes from Fancy One Dan, and he said, "Listening to the Game Theory episode right now, would the benefits of like-minded city-state be outweighed by the fact that they could become real-world physical echo chambers?" Okay, so that I, I know you weren't on our talk with Rob, but the one of the things we talked about was that in the future, it seems very probable and likely that you can just move to a small country or city-state, like he put here, that aligns perfectly with your political ideals. So you can decide, I think this is a thing, this is a thing, this is a thing. All right, move there. So now instead of that uh, that infighting and that like, no, this has to be this, this has to be this, and 50% of the population thinking each side, you all just kind of agree and move forward and make laws in such a way. Now, eventually, I'm sure you're going to find things that you disagree with, but when if something changes drastically in that country, you can just move to one that still aligns with your political ideals. And I actually see that as a future. 
But what he's asking here is, is the benefit of being able to move to wherever you think is the best political climate outweighed by the fact that you're literally moving into an echo chamber. Uh, that which is an interesting an interesting thought that we didn't explore on the episode. So I don't I, I know the the echo chambers are a serious problem right now. But honestly, I don't know how big of a problem they'd be if all the people that are in like the epi- the echo chamber of anti vaxxing moved to an island where they could all not vaccinate and die. Like I don't know. Like the, the there would be there would be very clear repercussions to that echo chamber in that scenario. I, again, if you all align the same way and that's how you're living that's how you're doing everything it's going to create like weird groups of people who might like two generations down the line be like is uh, they thought the world was one way and but the internet should mitigate that i don't know i don't know it's a, a, not a thought expansion i had i had thought about a lot and it's definitely an interesting topic uh i think that the off the top of my head the benefits of being able to go to where you want would outweigh that and you would see the the places that were wrong quote unquote the ones that had the wrong economic or political ideology would kind of crumble so you would kind of start to see the right ones the it, i think that the maybe an echo chamber is good in that sense i don't know i but but i hate echo chambers today like you got to be very careful about getting stuck in them so we didn't get into this a ton in the game theory conversation it was just so good and there was so much to discuss but personally even though I'm very, very supportive of something like seasteading, I love the idea that we're trying to restructure societies. This whole concept of, oh, we'll just get a group of people that are like-minded and then we'll all just move there. And if you like other stuff, you move somewhere else. I, I don't, not only do I not think it's practical, I don't really see it playing out that way. Number one, I do think that we've reached um, a threshold as a civilization where there's going to be certain like laws and rules and things that are going to become more and more global, not less global, not more fractured. Um, I think that the more interconnected we are, the more that what everybody does is affecting each other. So it's not going to be just as simple as like, okay, well, we are a group of people that bought this land, so we should be able to do whatever we want. And ultimately, even if we went down that route, like it's the natural split of, like you said, Brent, you know, eventually differences of opinions will form. And then what's going to happen? How are those differences going to be solved? Is the plan to just keep splitting to make sure that you're always with a homogenous group that agrees with your positions? That's literally never going to happen. We as humans, I would even argue, started off that way. Like we started off as small groups of people that for the most part agreed on structure and politics and religion and everything. And we have kind of come together into bigger and bigger and bigger groups that have more and more differences between us in some way. So I just don't see this playing out. I'm not necessarily criticizing it. So I don't know if it would be bad because of the echo chambers. I just don't think it's even practical or feasible or probable. Yeah, a few things I want to touch on there. I believe that the human brain is invented to create problems. I believe that no matter how much you try to fix your life, no matter how good you have it, it's natural instincts is to say like, whoa, be careful, watch out, you know, make sure you protect yourself, look out for your family. All these things are, are natural in humans. If you isolate a large portion or, or even a reasonable sized portion, separate them and try to bind them by certain laws, I think that it's going to be fine for a little while. It could work 
pretty well a year, two years maybe, depending on the group size. But eventually, you're just going to find things you don't like in those people. You're going to find flaws in their plans. You're going to find, you know, whose incentives are not lined correctly. And, you know, with crypto, we hope that there's ways that people can be protected in these situations. But at the same time, I really don't find that this is going to be all that successful long term. I think that we're going to find more problems are going to pop up than we expected. And I just don't see it working. Specifically, look, uh, Rob brought up a very interesting point, which is the obvious one, that even us ourselves change over time. Like the society that Kareem at 15 years old would have picked is different than the one I would have picked at 21. And it's different I would pick today. And chances are that in 15 years, I'm going to feel differently because we are all creatures that are evolving. So to me, it's a more interesting question. Instead of saying, how can we find a way that all like-minded people can be around each other? Because I also think that that ignores the fact that migration is cost. Take it from somebody who came from a different country. And Brent, you've talked about leaving the United States. You're leaving your friends behind. You're leaving your family behind. It takes resources. You have to, like, it's a costly thing. So instead of asking, how can we make sure that people can always be surrounded by like-minded people? I think a better question is, how can we structure society in a way that for the most part, our disagreements don't infringe on each other's freedoms? That we can just have, like, we can disagree about the way things should be done. We can have a way in which we reach consensus about which direction we do take, but we can generally have societies where, you know, your personal freedoms aren't infringed on, so you're okay being a part of the society. Yes, I am not a conservative. Yes, I don't agree with the things that Donald Trump is doing, for example, or I didn't agree with a lot of things that Obama was doing, but I live in a society that mostly respects my freedoms, and I have the ability to speak my mind, and I have an ability to try to create change. Therefore, I'm okay with being surrounded with people that disagree with me. I think part of the seasteading movement is they're trying to make it really easy to move. Like joining the seasteading thing is not going to be easy. But once you're doing it, I think the way those pods work, like you can just move very, very, very easily. So that uh, that I just wanted to point that out. And the uh, the other thing that I was going to say I lost, I was going to say something funny and it's it's gone. Well, so, even if you make the physical political joke here, even if you make the physical transportation easy, the human cost of walking away from what you know, walking away from your friends, walking away from your family and starting somewhere new will always be a costly decision unless you like live your life online and it literally doesn't make a difference because like, you know, whatever I, I get. I get that there's exceptions. I'm speaking in general. I think one of the things that we haven't really mentioned as well is how important it actually is to be able to work with people not like you. You have there has to be a certain level of respect that you have to have for other people and even like when we enter this podcast for example, my you know views on certain topics are different than both of yours, but we have to work together and even though we disagree sometimes, we understand that we have similar goals and we can work through things. I think challenging situations, stress, failure all those things are really important for people to learn, become better in life. And I think that when you try to eliminate those factors, it just becomes too idealistic. And I also think that those societies are what will eventually come out is that even if we create the perfect scenarios where we can create microcosm societies, right? Like like we were describing, maybe you have this libertarian society that gets to do their own thing and this socialist and this communist and this anarchist and whatever. But here's the thing. 
The more interconnected the world becomes and the more powerful our tools become, the more that we're impacting the planet that we all share. So even if you're somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, you might not have any pollution loss. You might not have any restrictions about what can be done. That doesn't mean that all neighboring societies are going to put up with that. And even those societies will ultimately encounter that they are going to have to make compromises with other societies because we have to share living space. Maybe not immediately, but Overall, that's why so many countries have pollution agreements. That's why so many countries have signed carbon emission agreements. And this is just the beginning of the clo- of the global system. That's going to become even more prevalent in the future. There are going to be multi-societal agreements that these societies will have to abide by. So if the idea is just like, oh, if we get together, we could do whatever we want. I think that that's a total pipe dream. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. I want to see it happen. I want to see how it, I want to see how it starts to work. Uh, we can see a little bit of it now, like companies almost in the United States. Like there are, there are people who will move to, from one company to another because of the political ideology of the company. So like maybe you go work at Zappos because you like everything about how Zappos does business and their company culture. And you've moved from, I don't know, being like a random contractor, which is on the other side of the spectrum. So. I think that we kind of see it a little, I mean, but also some people are stuck in companies or they feel like they are and they won't move their jobs. So I, that very small, it, it's not a society, but it's a, it's a small taste of what that can be. And we have seen that when companies kind of are on a united front, they can do a very good job and be like, like Zappos.com, like isn't like buying shoes online isn't like a thing that I care about that much, but that company is ridiculously successful. And it has to be due in no small part to how they how they've kind of intentionally homogenized everybody's ideology. Right. But Zappos has to abide by the surrounding rules. Right. Like Zappos is still constricted, even though they can create their own culture. They they still have common rules that they have to abide by. And that's basically what I mean. It's almost like the European Union or the United States, where, yes, you have microcosms, individual states, where the culture and the decision-making in California is very different than Alabama, and that's different than, let's say, Texas. But ultimately, in order to be able to interact successfully, there's like a common ground. And I think that that will be the case even more so in the future. So... The United Nations is the only organization that comes to mind that tries to be a little bit of a world like conversation. Um, are there other organizations that actually try to put these countries together, like politically, ideal, ideologically? Like, is there something that like meshes these a little better? Uh, y- yes. Like, there's tons of things that get countries together, but even the United Nations, they don't really like have a lot of power. Right. I wasn't confident that that was the right answer, but that was the only thing that was coming to mind as something that could, you know, mesh these countries together. Yeah. United Nations is the best we got right now. It's just not much. So like, I just don't understand if if we're taking Russia, United States, China, and trying to put them in the same conversation to work together. That sounds very complicated to me. That sounds like really difficult. Right. No, I I, go ahead, Brent. I share Kareem's vision of a united uh, world government in the future. I also think that this is a possibility. So I maybe I'm thinking about these these countries, and I shouldn't call them that. Maybe I should call them closer to states or whatever. But I could see having the president of Earth at some point, <laughs> like as like I as dumb as that sounds. But, the, <laughs> but I, 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 I there there no could shot. easily be a governing body that is that unites everybody in 200 years. There's no reason there there wouldn't be or shouldn't be. Yeah, and look, 
I, I think that we already have indication that you'd be surprised when the problems become big, people come together. And look, even though the United States may be pulled out of the Paris Agreement, we still haven't really started seeing the terrible, terrible consequences of climate change, even though we're already seeing higher sea level rise, we're seeing fires, we're seeing migrations. If you look at a country like Bangladesh, it's becoming inundated. The Maldives are already looking for other areas to move their country because they're going to be underwater. So you had literally every country, every major country in the world, including countries like Saudi Arabia, who are dependent on oil, sign an agreement to begin reducing carbon emissions. Let's go five years in the future and let's say that things are getting a lot worse and that nothing's been done. The popular pressure on all governments to start doing something about it becomes greater and greater. And even if there's not one government body that rules over Russia, China, and the United States, it doesn't mean that Russia, China, and the United States and the European Union can't come together and have a shared mutual agreement. And that's what I mean when I say that future societies, even if they're small, are going to have to compromise because they're still going to be a part of an interconnected world. All right. Yeah, that was about 20 minutes on our crypto podcast about that. So we'll... uh... We'll, uh, it's at the end. The I think, I think it's a lot. Uh, I think it leaves a lot open at the end. Nothing wrong with this. Arigato. All right. Anything else we want to touch on before we wrap it up? Nope. You guys are the best. We love you. Except I want to touch my butt on one of those Tron toilets. <laughs> uh, Let me know how that works out. The highest quality humor here at Crypto Basic. I'd say this was a pretty good episode for that. That wasn't humorous in the. I want one of those toilets. Like I'm not joking. I want that. Christmas is coming. All right, guys, for the Crypto Basic Podcast, my name was Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. The members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. The only advisor between us is Brent, who is an expert on toilets all over the world. Call him up. He'll tell you sizes, shapes, and features. (music) 